It takes more than great topological sorting skills to be a great engineer. This is episode 102 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show for software developers where you write in with questions and we provide answers. And we only talk about topological sorting before the show. Yes. Where Dave explained to me what it was. <laughs> explained it very well. I we did? have some. Oh. Yeah, I think so. Great. It was it was interesting, but irrelevant for this show. Totally irrelevant. <laughs> um, we have some patrons we want to thank. Thank you so much to TypeScript Tips, Sean Clayton and Dustin Coates. They're all donating at the level where we thank them every week. I also want to clarify, there's some people that, that have made donations, but we start announcing names when Patreon processes all that. So if right. you have recently signed up, we'll, uh, we'll get to you when Patreon processes that. That's right. Thank you so much for all your support. It really helps. It, it helps because every dollar I get makes me happier. <laughs> so these three folks made me 20 happier each. <laughs> no, it helps go towards uh, just paying for the show, paying for hosting, paying for hopefully some design and editing stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much. All right. So we have a couple questions today. Jameson, you wanna read them? Or do you want I to want to read. Just, just one. Do you want me to read both of them at the same time? <laughs> I'll do some kind of like Buddhist throat singing. <laughs> you can sing two different notes. Can you just speak two different sentences at the same time? I think you can if you interleave every phoneme. Okay. Or it's it's like inward singing, right? You say one sentence breathing out, another one breathing in. Ooh. That's a thing. It's oh, it's like concurrency isn't parallelism, right? You could you could read them concurrently, just maybe not in parallel. I never have understood the distinction, but that is not the topic <laughs> you of sure today's won't. show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is from an anonymous listener. Big fan of the show and proud to support the show on Patreon. Thank you. I've listened to all the episodes over the last five months. I even quit my job a few months after listening, and I'm at a much better job because of it. I guess you could say I'm a true soft skills engineering fan. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much. We appreciate that. I have a member of my team who is a great developer, but their first language isn't English. Sometimes this results in bad grammar or spelling mistakes in code comments, variables, and method names. Often I correct it in code review, but sometimes I feel like I'm nitpicking, although I really do want it to be changed to be correct. It slows down the code review process too. And of course I don't wish to appear racist or discriminatory. That is not my style, nor should it be anyone's style. Any ideas for solving this? How do I speed up code reviews, encourage more spell checking, etc.? Great question. I think one solution is you just convert your code base to their native language. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then hopefully their stuff will all be spelled right. And you, you kind of flip the problem onto them, right? <laughs> and then they get to correct you. Yeah, like teach me Spanish or whatever. I don't know. They didn't say what language it was, but... You can walk a mile in their shoes. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. You know, I just want to point out that this listener had one grammar error in this very question that I <laughs> <laughs> that I corrected. So, you know, that sword swings both ways, I guess. <laughs> uh, another point is, that's a joke, but I've worked with plenty of people who are in, like air quotes native English speakers who <laughs> have the same problem. So <laughs> I don't think true. it, the, the dimension of it being a second language is definitely different, but it's not unique to that. That's right. If you have ever learned a, a second language, 
which like everyone besides Americans does, <laughs> then then I think it might help you have a little bit more empathy for this because it's hard. It's hard to learn a new language. Oh, yeah. It's it's a totally different skill, like speaking versus writing. And then there are even these different rules around programming. So I, I think one step might just be like understand that it, that it could be tricky. Super just tricky. Having, having a little empathy for the person who is who has gone through a lot of effort to get to the point where they're at. I do speak a second language, or I did. I lived overseas for a couple of years. And sometimes, that, that was 20 years ago, and sometimes while I'm at work, I try to think of my, to myself, how would I say what I'm trying to say now in English in Spanish? That's the language that, that I learned. And I am just completely unable to do it. <laughs> I mean, it is so hard. Yeah. So I have a lot of empathy. Yeah, I mean... You could do it if you worked at it more, though. Oh, for sure. But it would take a long time. And yeah, yeah. And I and you would, a, you would you would mess up a lot. Oh, I, I for sure would. And I work with, I work with a lot of people who for whom English is not their first language. Um, and uh, I think uh, I just am super impressed with how well they do uh, mm-hmm. compared to how well I know I would do in my second language. So yeah. I mean, it's just so difficult. So anyway, I'm just really really amazed. Yeah. If we focus on the issue of code reviews, to me, the the it clarifies things down to expectations because code reviews are they're a famously like squishy, fuzzy topic that can cause a lot of like unhappiness and discord and hurt feelings. And and I think the root of all those is what are the expectations for code reviews? If you have clear expectations on your team that, hey, we know some of you are uh, English as a second language people. Um, but the expectation is that the grammar is correct in comments, in in code, and in everything. And it's fine if you make mistakes, but we just need to make sure those get corrected. If that's an explicit expectation among the team, then I don't think it would feel like nitpicking, and it wouldn't feel like you're discriminating or you're you're just holding people to the standards that the team has agreed upon. But what I imagine is that no one has any <laughs> explicit expectations around code review. So you're just kind of dancing around the issue thinking like, mm-hmm. I sure would like this to be the case, but <laughs> yeah, I, I might be offending them because they think it's good enough. And I, I think it's not. And so one solution might be to discuss as a team, how do we do code reviews? What are we looking for? What, what are the criteria that code needs to meet to pass a code review? And then you're holding, it's like, I do this a lot with my daughter. <laughs> you make the rule the bad guy and you're saying like, it's not my fault. It's just the rule that you can't have 14 cupcakes. It doesn't help. She still loses her mind, but hopefully with adults, it helps a little bit more. It's, it's not like you listener are no longer the English police. You're just helping them. Um, Look, I, I meet, don't make the these standards. rules. Yeah. You know, I'm just the ruthless enforcer. Yeah. I had nothing to do with this cupcake rule. If it were up to me, honestly, you could have 15 cupcakes, but I just, sorry. Sorry. I and then she says, I, I sincerely apologize. Literally every time she says, go ask mommy. <laughs> oh man. Which is why you all need to be on the same page. Cause otherwise your, your coworker will say, go ask manager or whoever yeah, else. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> go ask the person who cares the least about code reviews and get the like <laughs> blind thumbs up. <laughs> Whatever, man, ship it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was thinking they call that- them the accelerator. <laughs> <laughs> the code review accelerator. Yeah. I was thinking that the problem here is we don't have a level playing field. I think all your code reviews, all your documentation, and all your code should be written in Esperanto. 
Ah, yeah. Okay. Everybody comes to the table with the same, I don't know, lack of understanding. <laughs> you basically, you what is, to, what is Esperanto? Language. Esperanto is a language that was, instead of evolving, it was invented. And uh, it's it's very consistent and allegedly pretty easy to learn compared to other spoken languages. And it's been proposed that Esperanto could be like the universal language that humans communicate with and then everyone would have their natural like second language that they were born with but yeah. um anyway i i actually there, there are crazy. dozens of esperanto speakers dozens there are of literally dozens dozens with a d <laughs> <laughs> like i think um i actually think this idea might be pretty good for international teams yeah i don't know i i just i really have been wanting to learn esperanto recently i think a lot of the Esperanto speakers are technical people because I think the idea of mm-hmm. uh, like grammar is confusing and all these rules are fuzzy and don't make any sense. What if we just made it make sense? Yes. That'll solve all our problems. And mm. it's really, it turns out it would not. <laughs> oh, come on. Give it a chance at least. I will not because there are social problems. <laughs> the, the reason I speak the language I do is not because other languages are inconsistent. It's, it's, <laughs> it's complex. Anyway. That was only half. I a joke. shot your idea down yeah. totally. <sighs> I think Esperanto is fascinating, but I am skeptical that that would ever, ever work in the real world. <laughs> Maybe one day when we're all enlightened. Yeah, I guess. How how do you say enlightened in Esperanto? No idea. No idea. <laughs> Out comes the Google Translate. Is there a Google Translate for Esperanto? I'm sure there is. Those nerds gotta love their Esperanto. Clara, hang on. Clara, that's how Google told me to pronounce it. Enlightened, is that what she said? Or clear? Enlightened. Yep. I can I got Lumiga, Lumigita. Lumigita. Okay. Every Esperanto adjective ends in an A. How's that for awesome? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. So that helped. Uh, what else? <laughs> what other helpful? What other helpful point can we make now? <laughs> if it's spelling you're worried about, then just install a spell checker in the CR tool. Easy. I said CR, a code review tool. Easy peasy, no problem. If it's grammar you're worried about, that's a little harder, but there are still grammar checkers. Just automate it. Like spending time on this stuff as a human is such a waste of time. I mean, sometimes you're right. Sometimes meaning can be lost through grammar errors or spelling mistakes. But I would say automate it as much as possible so that you aren't sitting here policing things. It seems like a bit of a tricky problem to spell check code because, yeah, there's all kinds of weird stuff. There's like weird abbreviations. There's, there's, you'd have to like tokenize all of the tokens again. So like a method name might have five words and it all smushed together and you'd have to break those apart and spell check them. I think I've seen editors do this. Really? Yeah, I think so. I guess I used Eclipse way back in the day in school, and all I remember is my whole screen was full of squiggly yellow lines. <laughs> Maybe it was doing that. I, I don't think it's that hard of a problem, honestly, in, for spell check. And then for grammar check in comments and grammar check in your code review description or get commit messages, also shouldn't be too hard, right? I, I don't think I've ever seen it done, but surely it couldn't be that difficult yeah, these days. That's an, that's an interesting idea. Well, maybe I'll check it out. If not, you could write a Chrome extension to do it, I bet. Yeah. So here's the worst case scenario. I go down a rabbit hole of this. I find 
oh dear, Dave, our code base has 15,000 spelling mistakes. <laughs> and then I spent two days fixing them all and make this giant, giant pull request that like conflicts with everything. You and would never, James. No. How, yeah. I would never be so foolish as to waste my time in ineffective <laughs> things like that. But really, at the end of the day, what's the difference between a spelling error in a function name and a white space indentation problem? I mean, I guess... They're both distracting, but if they're just obvious, if the spelling error is an obvious typo, it's not that much more distracting than a white space issue. So why not treat yeah. them the same and automate it? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll try it and see how horrible it feels or how good it feels. <laughs> Maybe you will get Lumigito. Lumigita. Cool. Any, any other wisdom to shed on this yeah. question? Advice I would give is don't bring it up unless it makes a material difference. Unless you can see that there's going to be direct and pretty significant impact from the spelling or grammar error. Just don't bother. You know, I don't know, life's too short, basically. Like, I would say, try to get over it yourself. It really isn't that big of a deal, unless it is. If it is a big deal and it changes the meaning <laughs> of things, then, you know, if you're reading this and saying, wow, if a customer read this or if another developer reads this, they're going to get the totally wrong idea. We need to fix it. That's a very different situation from, Oh, I before E except after C, you know, like it's just not that big yeah. of a deal. I would say for more customer facing things like documentation, it might be a bigger deal. For sure. Internal stuff. I don't know. I, I could I could go either way. I, I guess it, it depends on the level of professionalism to, uh, that's needed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like if 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 you're writing I mean, some of your code comments turn into documentation. If you're like building a very strong interface that other teams will consume, it might be pretty important there. If it's just like the spot where you put your daily journal entries you just put them in <laughs> as comments in the code wherever you're typing <laughs> to add a little flavor then it might not be as important and and actually spelling errors would be part of the art in that absolutely i'm gonna do that i'm gonna submit my next poll request and it'll be like this morning i woke up at this time i was really just thinking about <laughs> this episode of the office i watched last night <laughs> And then the last line of the comment will be increment I by one. <laughs> Useful and artistic. That's, yeah. <laughs> that is it. Yeah. All right. Anything else to say about this question? Have we answered it? I don't know. We we're kind of wishy-washy. What, what, you didn't come down on one side or the other about should he bring it up? I think you should ask the team if it's worth making an explicit expectation around it. Mm -hmm. And if they don't care, then say, no worries, mate, or whatever, however you say it in your <laughs> native tongue. <laughs> I, I do think that, you know, one more quick comment here is reading into the question, it says, sometimes I feel like I'm nitpicking. Like, that's a really good signal. If you feel like you're nitpicking, you're probably wasting someone's time, right? Mm, to some people. I think some people feel like they're always nitpicking. I think if you are, if you are, inclined to make people happy then any input that slows down the progress of their code from pull request or code review to production feels like a nitpick oh i see i see even if you discover like a major issue that like a bug or a no no no. i'm saying nitpick is like the baseline level of like every comment is like uh, this might be a nitpick and i mean there are definitely more serious things i so I'm talking about myself, Dave, and other people like me. But often in code <laughs> reviews, I feel like if I if I deleted everything that I felt like, oh, this might be a nitpick, then I would just be the the code review accelerator man. <laughs> I just thumbs up everything. 
So you feel like almost everything you write is a nitpick. I feel like I have to fight against the inclination to consider everything I write as a nitpick. Okay. Okay. And and I think when I step outside my like just make people happy at all costs <laughs> default <laughs> viewpoint, then I I think that a lot of the feedback is valuable and helpful and I care about giving it. But just the incentives in the moment are like, ah, oh, just say it looks fine, you know? Yeah. So they can ship for, it and get on with their lives. Yeah. For things that aren't just like, it's totally broken. Okay. All right. Well, maybe I should take that back then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to make you waffle. Well, mission accomplished. You're you not just, supposed to come to a conclusion. You just nitpick the crap out of me. <laughs> I have no more nits. Yeah. All been picked. I think... I like your advice of seeing if you can automate it. I also like my own advice of trying to set clear expectations. I think some combination of that and then just like if none of that works or if the, if no one else cares that much and it's not super public, maybe just deal with it. I think yep. that seems like a reasonable solution to just, me. Just bottle it up deep down inside. <laughs> Save it for the retrospective in like four or five months from now. <laughs> 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 All right. That sounds Back like a great outcome. In March. <laughs> it's August. What are you talking about? <laughs> All right. Question answered. Question sure. answered. All right. I'll read our next one. Okay. This also comes from an anonymous listener who says, Hi, David Jameson. I really love the show. I'm actually a hardware engineer, but we need soft skills too. So hopefully you can provide some advice. All right. Hardware engineers. Okay. Uh, hardware engineer writes, This is my first job out of college. Been there for 2.5 years. It feels like my manager is always firefighting and not able to be proactive, trapped by the tyranny of the urgent. It seems like our group is always behind on deadlines, trying to catch up, and we've accrued large amounts of technical debt with little to no time spent on improving our processes or tools. The end result is that we produce a worse product and documentation than we could or should be, which causes additional support required down the road, further loading down the group. What can I or my manager do to improve this situation? Is this situation more common than I think? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the default state of technical teams. <laughs> you were like, you sounded so downtrodden when you said that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, downtrodden? I was going for like gravitas. Oh. Yes. Like a- I don't know focusing on the short-term cost causing long-term problems yeah that's that's i feel like i've seen that at every place i've ever worked (laughs) you've worked at a lot of startups too so even more so yeah that's true and those it's like the short-term problem is our company will not exist (laughs) so (laughs) that does trump long-term problems we actually don't have any long-term problems (laughs) yeah the long-term problem is like i go get a normal 40 hour a week job (laughs) for less stress can I just say how much I love the phrase, the tyranny of the urgent? Oh, it's so good. Trapped, even trapped by the tyranny of the urgent. There's a little mm. alliteration in there. What an eloquent person. We could call that the TTU, trapped by the tyranny of the urgent. See, that really adds to the eloquence if you turn it into an acronym. Absolutely. <laughs> I think, wasn't it a James Joyce? He was all about acronyms. <laughs> I don't know James Joyce. Remind me who that is. Oh, he wrote Ulysses and he was not all about acronyms. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Solving this problem, I feel like, is one of the key roles of a manager. Like, they're, 
part of their job is to look ahead and solve second order problems. The immediate problem is we need to get this feature done. We need to fix this bug. We need to help this customer. And then the second order problems are like, we are not getting enough feature. Features take too long to get done in general. Mm -hmm. We're spending too much time firefighting. Our, our app goes down in production too much. Like how do I change the day-to-day stuff that comes up by doing other work. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't think about it, but I feel like this is this is a pretty big part of a technical manager's job. Absolutely. And boy, is it hard to see, right? I mean, it's hard to know what's causing it. Like, okay, you slowly get slower and slower. Yeah. And then one day you look up and say, we are really slow. Why, yeah. why is that? Yeah, I think it was uh, Camille Fournier in... in the manager's path. I think she said that debugging the team is slow and I don't know why it's like the hardest managerial problem. <laughs> <laughs> you can't profile it. <laughs> yeah. There's no flame chart. Yeah. yeah. Lots of times it's, it's just very hidden stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, well, I can't give up my Twitter time. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> how would I know what the day's news is if I don't spend my four hours on Twitter? Yeah, for sure. If I'm sure that's not that easy. Down. I'm sure. No, that's like the. Have you heard about the duck thing? Uh, no. Where, I I think it was designers. Some designer was like, I just put a duck in everything, so that it gives the client something easy to take out, so they can just say, Oh, it looks great. Get oh, rid yeah. of that duck. Oh yeah, that's you the know, hairy, like, That's also called the hairy arm principle. Okay, I think. the hairy arm principle. I've not heard it described that way. Basically, if you begin your team's career by having them spend four hours a day on Twitter. Then when someone's like, it seems like your team isn't getting enough done. You're just like, oh, well, I guess we'll stop spending half our time on Twitter then. <laughs> then you speed up. <laughs> Problem solved. Yep. Or yeah, that happened in, it was in uh, some video game engine too. They just put in a loop that did nothing to like make sure that they could keep under the performance budget. So by the end of the development cycle, when the app was, when the, when the game was way too slow and they had to fix it up, the like secret chief uh, warlock engineer just went in and like deleted the oh my gosh. E- empty loop. And then we're like, I solved it. It's fast now. Oh my goodness. So maybe that's what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> they do that with memory too. They'll just allocate a giant buffer, like put nothing in it. And then free it um, up at the end of the project. Yeah, and then free it up at the end when when they're way over the limit. Uh, That's called sandbagging, I think. <laughs> is it? I think so, right? And you can sandbag when you make e- estimates, but... To deliberately perform at a lower level than you are capable of? Yeah, and then later you can pull out the sandbags and now you can perform better. Huh. Well, it sounds bad when you say it that way, Dave. <laughs> well, it didn't exactly sound good when you said it. <laughs> well, I, I thought it sounded like a great idea. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so don't do the thing I said. Yeah, I mean, not that, it, not that it's even possible, right? Like, yeah. Okay, everybody take two, four hours a day and just do nothing so that in six months when we have tons of technical debt, <laughs> we can appear to go faster. Yeah, the point of that was not like try that. The point of that was that's probably not what's happening. So it's probably not an easy fix like saying, hey, just don't do that really dumb thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what should this person do? Well, I think as an engineer, you have a responsibility to the company and to your manager to identify sources of slowness and uh, 
call out how they impact the business in tangible ways that a decision maker can understand and act on. So yeah. like, you know, if you have noticed that your tools are causing you build time pain that's slowing down your builds or causing iteration or lots of uh, rework, track it, put a number on it, call it out and say, hey, our releases are taking X days longer than they used to. And we have this many like turnaround, uh, what's the word, like rework cycles compared to what we had six months ago. I think we need to spend some time fixing our tooling and we can reclaim this lost time. Yeah. Um, I mean, without that, it, you just are like, well, things are slow and I want to take some time to make them fast. And it, and my first question as a manager is, how slow are they and how fast are you going to make them and how long is it going to take you to do it? And so if you have some answers to those questions, you can get traction. Yeah, I really like that point, giving data around the cost of the current bad practices. Because it's one thing to just say like, man, it feels like I'm fighting fires all the time. But it's another one to say the on-call engineer or however you distribute it spent X percentage of their time fixing bugs or or not mm-hmm. even fixing bugs, just like poking the system until it worked again or responding without solving to, the underlying issue. Yeah, exactly. Or like they, you know, or you, doing you, support or yeah, yeah, whatever the work is. Exactly. And you probably have a way to track that. That one's pretty easy for on-call stuff where you yeah. have like a help desk or a ticket queue or something to keep an eye on. It's just the day-to-day engineering that runs slow. And you're like, why is this running so slow? You can't see it. Yeah. So hard. And that's that's what technical debt is. And you can't pay technical debt unless you have a bill. And, you know, like a credit card debt. If you have credit card debt, but you never get a bill, how are you going to know to pay it and how much? You know, but if you have technical debt, you need to provide some kind of bill. And, um, like, if you can point out bugs or if you can point out QA time or you can point out uh, feature delivery time that, that has changed over time. And a lot of these things are really hard to measure. And I think that's what makes it so hard for engineers to call out technical debt. Because you can't just say like, well, we used to be able to do 10 features a week and now we're only doing six. Like features don't work that way, right? Yeah. And and even if they did, usually the individual contributors aren't in a position to track all that and keep track of it in their head themselves. Yeah, for sure. It's usually, that's the manager or product manager or some, mm-hmm. someone else's job. So you could do it, but it's hard. And that's a lot of extra work, which would take more time away <laughs> from <laughs> doing your other work, which you already don't have time to do because of yeah. all this other stuff. <laughs> In extra detail that that we didn't read at the beginning, the question asker basically says they've talked to their manager about it. Their manager has commiserated with them and and felt they felt like their manager agreed with them, but then just never did anything about it. Yep. Classic management technique. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about your concerns. Wow, that sounds hard. Boom. There. In just those few words, you're now better than 90% of managers. (laughs) <laughs> I guess, yeah, that's true. That never happens. <laughs> well, okay. But yeah, to get to the Still not good 1%, <laughs> yes. you have to say, and here's what I'll do to fix it. Yep. Or say, here's what you can do to fix it. <laughs> it. It sounds like you need to do it yourself then, if the manager isn't going to do it. Have you, Dave, have you ever read Turn This Ship Around? No. It's a classic like business erotica book about, <laughs> it's, it's about a... A submarine captain, basically, who who became captain of a failing submarine and helped it become a very high-performing one. And one of the phrases he always repeats in the book is "I intend to." So, as a as a member of an organization, you can wait for people to give you permission to stuff to do stuff or tell you to do things. But in his ship, he he changed it so that people would just come up to him and say, "I intend to do this." And if he really hated it, he could say, "Like, nah, don't do that." But most of the time it was just like, yeah, sure, that sounds fine. 
So it, instead of waiting for explicit permission or saying like, here's this problem, and then just kind of sitting there, you could say, mm -hmm. here's this problem, here's what I'm going to do about it, here's how it will help. And then that forces your manager to either say like, no, you cannot do it, in, in which case things are bad, <laughs> or, or hopefully just say like, sure, that's fine. Like if your manager's response right now to bringing up this problem is to be like, eh, then I imagine their response when you bring it up and say, and here's what I'm gonna do about it will also be, eh. <laughs> no, I mean, I think man, at that point, you've, you've actually backed your manager into a corner and they have to respond with something either positive or negative. They can't just go, oh, that sounds hard. Right yeah, now, yeah. now you're saying, I need an answer, yes or no, can we do this? Yeah, I mean, may maybe they don't actually believe it's that big of a problem and they That's have right. just been trying to commiserate with you. And then when you say, I instead of doing this other work, I'm going to spend this amount of time doing this thing because I think it'll pay off in the long run, then maybe you have a real discussion about actual priorities. So in my last company, I helped shape a mechanism that managed this. And I think we've talked about it on the show, but it's been a long time, so I'll restate it. Um, we had our product roadmap, which is basically a list of features and the value that those features expect to give and rough engineering estimates for how long they'll take to build and so on. Um, but we had no such list for technical debt fixes that needed to be made or infrastructure improvements or, you know, in things that a, a customer would never ask for, but that were nonetheless important to our customers being able to continue to use our product. So we created this thing called a technical roadmap. And so it was a parallel roadmap to the product roadmap. And when teams went to do work, they were encouraged to take items from the technical roadmap and from the product roadmap at each sprint so that things would get done there. And we had like a prioritization meeting every week where we would review the technical roadmap and decide what was most important and what would give the most value and whatnot. Um, and I think it actually worked really well. And we started tracking like how often things were getting worked. And, you know, we had some problems where some teams would never pull items from the technical roadmap. They would only go for the product roadmap. And, and we had to fix that. But um, in the end, it was a great way to show management like, look, these are the problems. And one of the big questions we would answer for each item on the roadmap was, what happens if we do nothing? And it, it would kind of spell out the doomsday scenario that would eventually unfold. And it's important for management to know, like, do I have six months before this bomb goes off or do I have six years before this matters? You know? Yeah. So those are, those are the kinds of things you got to tell management. And if you go to them and say, I want to build a technical roadmap and here's the first three items I want to put on it. Um, can we do this and have like a weekly session where we prioritize and then assign these things out to engineers? I think that that will start a conversation and possibly lead to a much, much better outcome. Yeah. This is pretty high level work and it's, it's, I think it reflects well on you as an, as an individual contributor, if you want to take it on, um, because it fixing this kind of stuff has pretty big productivity gains across the team. There's a limit to just how much raw stuff you can output by yourself, but the, where it starts to scale a little more is where you tackle these kind of problems where mm -hmm. say it's really hard to set hardware engineer. So you probably do some kind of. What is it? VSDL? Is that the hardware? VHDL. VHDL. Yeah. I don't know anything about it besides that acronym, but maybe it's really <laughs> hard to write your VHDL and you make it easier so that now everyone else who does that does does it a little bit faster. Yes. And my current company, we call, that, we call that activity being a force multiplier, which is where, thanks to your efforts, the rest of your team can work more effectively. Yeah. I mean, if you do retrospectives or if there's some form for feedback beyond getting the work done, I think that's a pretty good place to talk about these kinds of issues too. Mm -hmm. The danger with those is you just kind of gripe and then nothing ever changes. But if you have, 
you're doing agile stuff, I don't know how it works in hardware land. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but there's generally a meeting where you talk about what we did recently and how it went and what we could do better. And, and if you can get the team on board with your ideas there, that also helps a lot, especially if you're doing this as an individual contributor, it's hard to drive consensus among the whole team. And if it's going to change how other people work, then, then you kind of need to get their buy-in too. Whereas if you're a manager, you can, though you should not often do this. You can't just say, here's, we're going to make this change. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you might have to spend a little bit more time kind of getting consensus and making sure everybody understands the problem and feels like the solution makes sense. And Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think we've clearly solved it. I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> technical debt erased. You could, yeah. you could just declare technical debt bankruptcy and see how that shapes up. Yeah. It might impact your credit score. I think that's, um, that's called a rewrite, isn't it? <laughs> I guess you're right, yeah. <laughs> it takes a while to get out of that bankruptcy that's true you takes can never time. buy a house again yeah <laughs> <laughs> unless you're a company and then it's just like fine somehow i don't understand yeah you just that go works. yeah you can just reincarnate yourself as a new company with no debt yeah perfect easy um yeah i i feel confident that we've answered this question it's hard this is a hard problem mm-hmm. kudos to you for thinking about it and for working on it uh, you you can definitely help. And if your manager just shoots down all your ideas, then um, there's some pretty big misunderstandings about what the source of the problems are, or yeah. even if they are problems. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Maybe it is possible that they like firefighting too. Some people love being the mm. hero. They're, they're adrenaline junkies. Yeah, yeah. It feels, it feels great to be able to swoop in and save people Ooh. or to just help people. And, it, and if you're uh, addicted to that. Technical debt must just be like nectar for these hero types (laughs) stuff is broken at 4 a.m i will solve it and by solve it i mean i will work around it (laughs) (laughs) yeah you gotta have a i mean you have to have a balance of that but it can you can get addicted to that Mm -hmm. interesting so let's answer the, this last question, which I think we already talked about a little bit, but just circling back, is this situation more common than I think? Absolutely. Um, every company, every tech company has technical debt. There's just no escaping it. The only question is whether you uh, will manage it and how. So if you bury your head in the sand, eventually it'll it'll get you. So this specific situation of feeling like there are things that we should be doing to help resolve this long-term, but we aren't doing any of them, that feels pretty unique. I've always, on every team, there's always just been things that would be nice to clean up and things that cause us problems long-term that we work around short-term. Uh, and there's always, there also are always people that feel like it's worse than I feel like it is. <laughs> and people that feel like it's less of a problem, I'm kind of in the middle, surprising no one. But this situation <laughs> of like, my manager doesn't believe that anything is wrong <laughs> and doesn't want to solve any of it, that seems a little weird to me. Yeah, that's, that's the true. unique part here. That's true. Maybe you should calibrate with some of your peers and say, are these things issues to you or just me? Yeah. Cool. All right. We have done it. We have solved this problem forever. And in the process, coined an awesome phrase called <laughs> tyranny of the urgent. Are you taking credit? For yes. This for for- <laughs> I mean, I, I read it out loud, right? Yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, I picked this question, so I actually... Oh, 
I'm going to just swoop in on top of you and say I coined this phrase. Nailed it. I, I agree with you. You coined trapped all the good by phrases. The, it's trapped by the tyranny of the urgent, by the right, way. Right, you are right. getting my trademark wrong, and so Sorry. I'll have to uh, remedy that. Yeah, that's a cool phrase. What can people do if they want us to steal their cool phrases? <laughs> <laughs> Go to softskills.audio and click ask a question, then input all of your intellectual property. <laughs> It's so tiny you can't even see it, but there is a little terms of service there. <laughs> <laughs> and an already pre-checked checkbox. Yeah, and you can't uncheck it. <laughs> it moves every time you try and click on it. <laughs> oh, that would be so funny. I've seen that. We should we we could add that if we want. Uh, yeah, if you if you submit a question, we'll get to it. Thank you for asking your questions. We've had a, a bunch of good ones lately, and we're oh, working yeah. our way through them. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you again to our patrons. We really appreciate your support. If you want to join their noble ranks, you can go to Patreon.com/softskillsng. Also, follow us on Twitter at SoftSkillsENG, where we post episode updates and interesting tidbits. I think we will catch you next week. All right. Bye-bye.